Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 147. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is a replay of my interview with Tim Desmond, who is a psychotherapist, mindfulness teacher, and a Zen student of Thich Nhat Hanh, who talks with us about having self-compassion during difficult times. I think we often forget that self-compassion is about It's not about making everything around you be okay. It's about helping yourself to be okay with not being okay, no matter what's happening around you. So while I'm on vacation, please enjoy this interview with Tim Ambrose Desmond. And coming up when I return from my break in September, I've got some awesome interviews for you. I recently spoke with Natalie Feinblatt for the second time, and we're going to go deeper into talking about cults. Also, I had a second discussion with Natita Gassel about trauma-informed psychotherapy practice and trauma-informed yoga, and basically what it means to be trauma-informed. And today, I interviewed the incredible Susan Pease Bannett, the author of The Trauma Toolkit and the new book, Wisdom, Attachment, and Love in Trauma Therapy Beyond Evidence-Based Practice. I know you're going to love that one. So sit back, enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening to Therapy Chat. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm very excited to have a returning guest, someone who 
teaches and speaks and practices in self-compassion, a subject that I'm very passionate about. So today, my returning guest is Tim Desmond. Tim, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy too that you could come back and you have a new book out, which caught my attention and made me want to ask you to come back. You're the author of the new book, The Self-Compassion Skills Workbook, and the previous book that I love, Self-Compassion and Psychotherapy, Mindfulness-Based Practices for Healing and Transformation. So, Tim, can you just tell our audience more about yourself and the work you do? Sure. Really broadly speaking, I guess, like a lot of people, like probably a lot of your listeners, I'm somebody who really wishes that we lived in a better world, like in the sense of whatever I'm doing, whether it's psychotherapy or activism or teaching meditation, so much of what I'm doing comes from this feeling of like, it's not, you know, um, not wanting suffering for myself, not wanting suffering for other people, just like the kind of sense of like, I'm wanting the world to be a better place. And that's been a big part of my life. I mean, we, we all get into this work because we're looking for something, right? And so that's been a big part of my life since I was young. I, I mentioned to you before when I was on last time, I had a pretty hard time growing up. I grew up in Boston with a single alcoholic mother. We were always struggling financially and we were homeless for a little while. And basically I just remember like this desire for the world to be a better place is not, doesn't really, it's not really altruistic in any sense that it comes from this, this desire that goes back as far as I can remember of just wishing people weren't so mean, wishing that I lived in a better world, wishing sort of people were nicer to me and people like me. And really identifying with people who are suffering a lot and who are kind of victims of oppression and, and in, in every way. And whatever I'm doing, whether it's you know, teaching mindfulness to activists or teaching mindfulness to therapists, it comes from this feeling of just wanting the world to be better. The funny thing about that motivation is that it leads you pretty quickly into kind of a paradox, which is sort of like the paradox of, like if if somebody says like, relax or I'll kill you, right? Like what happens is if if I'm feeling like, you know, I want this world to be a better place, I want my life to be better, I wanna be a better person, as soon as we identify this problem that we wanna change, what we do kind of inevitably is we turn that problem into our enemy. And so whether it's like, I want, whether I'm trying to change something in society or whether I'm trying to change, you know, critical or judgmental thoughts in me, as soon as I turn, I mean, let's say that kind of self-critical voice in me, as soon as I turn it into an enemy, well, we all know the best way to treat an enemy is to hate them and kill them, right? So as soon as we turn this any part of me or any part of the world into an enemy, what what happens is that we deepen 
the level of conflict and violence and just just that kind of radical non-acceptance of the world or of my life is really the seed of so many of these problems that we want to change is really the seed of that judgmental thinking or that self-criticism as soon as we say that self-criticism isn't okay right that that self-critical voice in me is bad and i really want it to go away and that's my goal that's my new year's resolution i i want to stop being self-critical we turn that part of ourselves into an enemy and then everything that we do kind of deepens that divide and so what's led me to so this is really what's led me to self-compassion i've been a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, the um vietnamese Buddhist monk and, and teacher for a long time. And the thing that I really keep learning from him and keep being challenged by is every, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person that I, I keep having, I have this tendency to look for what I want to change in myself, look for what I want to change in the world. And as soon as I, as soon as I name it, it's sort of like, okay, you know, it's like that whatever that thing is, is the problem, is the enemy. And what I keep learning from Thich Nhat Hanh is that just that way of thinking perpetuates a lot of the suffering that, I, that I'm hoping to overcome. And so instead, what's led me to, to self-compassion, to sort of the, the path of self-compassion, is learning that instead of viewing these things as a problem that needs to be vanquished or whatever, an enemy, recognizing that these are manifestations of suffering and the way to respond to suffering is with care and compassion, is with embracing and wanting to help. And that's just kind of a constantly, you know, as much as I teach this and as much as I practice it, it's constantly a challenge that, you know, that this, uh, I'll, I'll find something in myself or, and, um, and I keep going back to the sense of like, okay, that's the problem. That's what I need to get rid of. And I keep needing to be reminded over and over again of, no, that's, that is suffering in you. And what suffering needs is care and compassion. So I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, that, that, yeah. That's the way that I, that, that's the way that I think about my work is, is just kind of from that perspective. Yeah. I think that, what you said is a great answer to my question better than probably what I directly asked, because I think, you know, it's, it's so hard to keep in mind that feeling better doesn't mean we have to eliminate the emotions that we don't like feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's like, that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's immediately where my mind goes. Like as soon as I, as soon as I recognize that there's, as soon as I recognize that there's something about my experience that I don't like, there's something that's not working for me, then immediately it's just sort of like, oh, that's the problem. That's the thing to, that I want to overcome. And it always takes this like extra step of it's not the problem. It's, it's a part of you that needs some love and, and compassion. Yeah. And I think in our culture and our 
world, I guess. It really seems that when we have things we don't like about ourselves, we want to change them and make them not be there. So to give ourselves compassion, love and care for to give those parts love, love, care, compassion is pretty counterintuitive. Yeah. Well, lately I've been thinking about my mind a lot as kind of like a, a friend who likes to give a lot of advice and opinions that are mainly unsolicited. Like if if you imagine that you had a friend that was just like literally, that just always was hanging out with you and always was giving you advice and opinions, that's how I relate to my mind. And sometimes those opinions are helpful. So the, the thing that's really clear to me is this really opinionated friend loves me and is trying to help but and sometimes their advice is good a lot of times it's terrible but they're not my enemy right just because they won't shut up they won't shut up because they care about me and they're giving me their best advice and so but so and with an with, with a friend like that and this is definitely true for my mind sometimes my mind can sort of give me an opinion or give me some advice and I can just say, no thanks. And my, and my mind will just be like, okay. You know, I can, I can just be like, you know, let it go, come back. That's not necessarily true. But a lot of the time, my mind will give me some kind of an, of an opinion or some advice and I'll say, no thanks. And it'll say, no, you don't understand. This is really important. I need you to like, you really have to agree with me or you really have to do this. And that's the time that I have to remember that, that just like a friend who's doing that, if I empathize with them and I say like, I see that you're trying to help and I appreciate you. And I see that that really seems true for you right now. And I, and I just want, I, and I, I get that you're really trying to help me. Then my friend can kind of calm down a little. If I try to argue with them, or if I try to just ignore them, you know, it, it doesn't make the situation better. It doesn't they lead louder. to, they get louder, you know, there's just like, it, it certainly doesn't lead to the harmony that I'm looking for, or the sense of sort of like peacefulness and spaciousness that I'm looking for. And so, so you know, my, my really opinionated friend, is, you know, will just sort of point at something and be like, look, that's the problem. That's the, that's the thing that's ruining your life. And I need to, rather than just be like, yeah, you're right. I need to, to remember to kind of say, okay, I, t- I can tell you really want me to, you want to help. You want, you want me to have more peace and spaciousness and well-being in my life. And that's why you're trying to do this. You really, you, you're really trying to look out for me. And, um, and thank you for that. And I see that that's your opinion right now. But I'm going to, I want to do a little more inquiry before I decide whether to agree with you or not. It's definitely easier to do that than to do the thing that we usually do, which is just sort of argue. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the, the hard part is even seeing your mind as that opinionated friend rather than just reacting to what your mind says is the problem, you know, without even that pause. Yeah, well... To do that is really hard. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of training. The, the 
more that I think about mindfulness and, and self-compassion, the more I like to think about them as training your mind. Like when you bring a puppy home, the puppy is untrained. And if you don't train that puppy, they're going to ruin your carpet. And an untrained mind is going to ruin a lot more than your carpet. Like if, if, we, if we don't train our minds to be able to, to not just run wild with worries and judgments and, and all the places that they go, if we don't train them, then yeah, they're, they're, they're just you know, pretty out of control. But like a puppy, if we have a lot of patience and gentleness and consistency and positive feedback, then it's possible to train our minds. And yeah, it, it's really the product of that training where you start to see the fruits of the practice. It's that um, practicing over and over and over again to the point that in the really hard moments of life, you can remember to practice. And that doesn't happen naturally. Like that's when life is really hard. That's the last time that most of us remember to come back to the present moment, to come back to our bodies, to be kind to ourselves. And what, what it takes is training ourselves in those qualities over and over and over again. In the same way that you'd sort of train yourself in any kind of skill, like self-defense. If you want to learn self-defense, you train yourself, you kind of drill yourself over and over and over again to the point that it starts to feel automatic. And, and it's really only then that you can use it when you need it. Right. Because in that situation, if it's a self-defense thing, your, your automatic response would be, you know, like fight or flight or whatever. So you have to have this be as much of an automatic response as that. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years, and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. There's a, um, a Greek um, kind of military poet that wrote a, a line that I always think about when talking about training your mind. And the line is, we don't rise to the level of our aspirations, we fall to the level of our training. And what that means is that in a moment of crisis, that's, that's not the time that we think of something new. In a moment of crisis, that is you know, all we have access to, and cognitive science has really demonstrated this pretty clearly. All we have access to is what we've trained ourselves in enough that 
our automatic pilot consciousness can do it. That if we can do it with no conscious control, but just, but just on automatic pilot, only then do we have access to it in a moment of crisis. It's amazing if we can train ourselves in therapy. When I'm working with clients, one of the things that I really try to help people to do is to, to use their own symptoms, to use their own distress as a bell of mindfulness. In, um, if you go to Plum Village where Thich Nhat Hanh lives, there's all these bells that you'll hear. And every time there's a bell, everybody stops and takes three breaths. So the people, you know, anybody who's walking will stop or conversations will stop and people who are chopping vegetables will stop. Um, and it's not like stopping like freeze tag. Like, like the, like That's what hearing, <laughs> yeah, no, hearing the bell, it's like stopping like what's going on? Why am I here? What do I need to be happy right now? And connecting with why am I, like asking the question, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Like really coming back to the, to sort of, um, to what's alive in you. And actually that's probably one of the most dangerous, what in Buddhism we call near enemies of mindfulness. One of the most dangerous, maybe we could say like imposters of mindfulness is the kind of mindfulness that turns you into a mindfulness zombie. The kind of mindfulness that actually makes you a little bit more dead or a little bit like it's sort of like you're just going through the motions. So you're smiling and slowing down, but you're doing it by actually kind of dissociating from what's really alive in you. And that is not the practice that Thich Nhat Hanh teaches. The the practice of mindfulness is really about becoming more in touch with life, becoming more in touch with what's alive in you. And so this, this kind of a bell, hearing this bell and stopping is not about stopping and sort of dissociating from what you were just doing. It's, it's a bell of stopping and saying, wait, what's, what's really alive right now? And so I want to teach clients that when you notice that anxiety start building up in your chest, when you notice yourself kind of having these, you know, um, ruminative thoughts, that's a bell to stop and come back to this moment and get in touch with what's really alive in you right now. And so, yeah, I think that's um, one of the biggest problems with the way that mindfulness is sometimes taught is that it, it can be interpreted as something that is the opposite of what it's supposed to be in the sense that it's it's something that sort of deadens you a little bit. But yeah, but really mindfulness is transformative. Mindfulness is beautiful. Mindfulness is worth practicing when it's something that makes you more alive, makes you more like more deeply in touch with life. Wow. That's, I'm going to have to think about that one a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and I think it relates to this, but feel free to correct yeah. me, is sure. an article that you recently published in Mindful Full Magazine or Mindful.org. And you described a situation where you were feeling a lot of intense emotion and you were able to use mindfulness not to escape from the situation, but to bring bring you more into the present moment and into what was actually happening then. Yeah. Is that kind yeah. of what you mean? Or is that, that, that Yeah, that, that's definitely what I mean. Um, and just to 
for, for your listeners, I wrote an article recently about something that I've been going through in my life for the past few years in in 2015, um, just after our son turned two, my wife was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And in the past couple years since that diagnosis, we've been through multiple surgeries and chemotherapy and recurrences and more surgeries and more chemotherapy. And and we're continuing, you know, we're, we're in the middle of that journey right now. Actually, as we record this, um, we have uh, new scans and then chemotherapy, I think, three days from now. And what I was writing about was an experience that I had, you know, maybe our last rounds of scans. So one of the things that's been really hardest for me in this whole journey has been... Um, when my wife has a set of scans, will she'll go through and have the scans done, and then either later that day or much more often the next day, we meet with our doctor and hear the results. And right now, you know, we're in a place where any set of scans could be news that's Basically, our lives are going to be radically changed from this point forward. And so when we uh, we'll, we'll sit in the waiting room and then we'll go into the doctor's office and then sitting in the doctor's office, it seems like we're always just sitting there for at least like 20 minutes, 30 minutes waiting for the doctor to come. And there'll be people walking up and down the, ha- the hallway and every set of footsteps that we hear, it's like, is that the doctor? Are we going to hear now? And that's one of the hardest times for me. And my wife and I always meditate during that time. And the story that I told was about a last set of scans we went through. We were sitting and meditating together in the doctor's office, waiting for the doctor to come in. And I was aware of this really intense block of aversion in me, this incredibly strong feeling of just no just i don't want this i don't want i don't want reality to be what it is right now like just kind of this is unacceptable and i think we can all relate to feeling that in different contexts and luckily because of my practice i was able to say to myself okay stay with this feeling come back to your body and Coming back to the sensations in my body and just allowing that feeling to be there without trying to change it at all, it calmed enough that I was able to, to, to see into it, you know, able to sort of ask the question, okay, so what is it about this moment that is so painful? And kind of obvious answer came up, which is, I don't want to lose my wife. And I, again, just slowed down sat with that reality that's that incredibly strong what we sometimes call mental formation thought in me and just allowed myself to sit with it rather than reacting to it i don't want to lose her i just kind of let myself say that and feel it i don't want to lose her i don't want to lose her and as i was saying that i'm i look down and i'm seeing i'm holding her hand right now there she is she's alive right now 
And what I saw in that moment is that all of that suffering in me, the root of it was the awareness of how precious her life is to me. And, and there she is alive right next to me right now. And then it just seemed so ludicrous that I would be doing anything other than celebrating the fact that we're together. It just seemed ridiculous. But here we are. Like, why would I be? Why is this a moment of grieving? This is a moment that, that she is alive now here together. And that's, you know, that's the freedom that comes from when we can be in touch with the present moment. You know, when we can actually see what's here in front of us. And, and the insight that, that came for me in that experience was that I've heard Thich Nhat Hanh say so many times that our suffering and our joy are not separate. They're made out of the same stuff. But this was definitely like the deepest and clearest that I've experienced that, which is the root of, of all of that pain that I was feeling it's like it was made, the energy that it was made out of is my wife is so precious to me. And just that cherishing that connection looked at from one perspective creates this tremendous suffering, but then the, the very same energy can, can give rise to this experience of, of like joy and celebration and gratitude more than anything. And so one of the main metaphors that Thich Nhat Hanh uses when he talks about self-compassion and the, and, and the transformation of suffering and healing is turning compost, uh, turning garbage into compost and compost into flowers, which is basically like life gives you garbage, but you've learned how to turn garbage into compost and compost into flowers. And the thing that I love about that analogy is that it's not that life gives you garbage and you know how to just not think about the garbage too much or how to get rid of the garbage, but no, you know how to turn that same garbage into something beautiful, that that is actually the, that that's actually a, a, a possibility with mindfulness and compassion practices. And th this is definitely uh, that, that, experience that I wrote about is definitely a, a really clear experience for me of, of what that means of just that, it, that um, the suffering itself is not separate from gratitude. Thank you for sharing that beautiful yeah. story. And, and I mean, I was really moved by it and I know that it probably has already helped many people and, and hopefully people who are listening who may be dealing with some kind of situation that seems impossible can take away a little hope out of that too. Cause I yeah. thought that was very helpful. Thanks. So I want to ask you about the two books, the self-compassion and psychotherapy and the self-compassion skills workbook. Are they, are they intended to be used together? Do they complement one another or are they fully separate? I think they can be used together. I think, Self-compassion and psychotherapy is really a book for primarily for therapists or people who are wanting to go pretty deep into thinking about the relationship between suffering, compassion, and healing. And so what I, what I tried to do there is 
offer everything that I've come to believe and experience about how compassion can be used to heal suffering in our personal practice and, in, and especially in psychotherapy. The, the workbook is intended for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, the workbook can be used by therapists with their clients, can be used by uh, clients on their own. It's the, um, the format of the workbook is based on some research by Richie Davidson, where he's been looking for for a while, sort of what is the minimum dose? People ask him all the time, well, what is the minimum dose of meditation training that is going to lead to real changes? And after a lot of experiments, he's come to believe that 30 minutes a day for two weeks of compassion training leads to measurable changes in both behavior and brain physiology. So if we can do 30 minutes a day for two weeks, that's generally would be considered sort of like the the minimum dose where we should where we can expect behavioral and physiological changes. So I set up the workbook as guided a way of guiding someone's practice, sort of a, a you know 30 minutes a day for two weeks kind of practice. And the way that the workbook is set up is different practices are helpful for, for different people. And I, I, I've seen a lot of attempts by meditation teachers to to try to individualize meditation practices for people because we're aware that it's it's really true like some people respond to this kind of practice some people respond to that kind of practice for some people on a day-to-day -day basis you know different things are going to feel helpful but generally when people do that it's been these kinds of practices if you're depressed these kinds of practices for perfectionism, these kinds of practices for anxiety. And that's certainly not how Thich Nhat Hanh teaches. And that really hasn't been my experience of what's most effective for people. My experience of what's most effective for people is you sort of start with a body scan and depending on what comes up, it might be this practice or that practice. And so I divided the core self-compassion practices into eight core practices that have like a, a few variants of each, divided them into eight core practices and created what I call the map to self-compassion, which is basically a flow chart. So you begin by doing a body scan. And then depending on what comes up in your body scan, you look at this kind of flow chart and it says, you know, um, in, the in your first body scan, it says, do you notice any distress or any suffering that comes up? Yes or no. The suffering or distress that's coming up, do you find, is it overwhelmingly strong or can you tolerate it? Yes or no. And depending on your answers to those questions, it will point you at different practices and kind of move you from one practice to the next, depending on what comes up for you in that particular session of, of practicing. And probably the thing that I'm most proud of, uh, the thing that I was hoping the most, I got a, uh, a review on uh, Amazon.com of someone who was using the workbook as kind of a, um, to, uh, as sort of like a, 
an amendment or, or um, using the workbook as a complementary treatment in working with complex trauma. Like she was actually able to, to use this workbook, to use the practices that were here and be able to practice self-compassion with complex trauma, being supervised by a therapist, but also on her own. And that was really what I was hoping for because a lot of, a lot of self-help tools, especially sort of mindfulness-based self-help tools, the way that they're, the, the way that they're presented, they're, they don't have sort of the adequate depth, a lot of them, for use with really deep issues with, you know, with complex trauma and dissociation. And what I was really hoping with this workbook is to create something that would be usable for people, even with really intense suffering. And um, the feedback that I'm getting is that it actually does work. So you can you can check it out either through W.W. Norton, the publisher, or or on Amazon. And I think um, on W.W. Norton, they'll let you kind of download a a free exercise um, and kind of take a look at it. But but yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy with how it's come out. Yeah, it's um, I love the map, and you know what you said about complex trauma is music to my ears because I was looking at the map and I was saying, oh, you know, I know some clients who have DID or some very severe yeah. dissociation who yeah. this kind of map is like, and it's like it does look like a flowchart, and there's a little yeah. tear out small version of it in the book, which I'm looking at right now, it's, it's perfect because, I mean, I think it even taps into that resource of the cognition to be able to say, yeah, here, what do I do next? What do I do next? And yeah, brings you back into the room. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I'm very eager to use this with some of my clients who, you know, it may just be a little too, too broad to just try practicing self-compassion without some kind of guideline. Yeah. Yeah. This happens and what to do if that happens. So I, I really love this. Yeah. And then the, with the workbook, I also recorded all of the guided practices and if, if um, and so when you buy the workbook, there's a, a link that comes with it um, where you can either stream or download all of the practices. So it's it kind of a, a similar, you can, Rather than having to read them, you can also listen to them. That's great. I got to find that link in there because um, I saw some little icons of um, like yeah. an audio thing, and I was like, "Oh, are these recorded?" Obviously, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book because I just got yeah. it. But... Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think this is a, an amazing resource, and I'm sure it's going to be helping so so many people. I know I'll be using it with my clients and recommending people to order it. So well, I know we're getting short on time and I don't want to hold you up, but do you have a minute just to tell people about where to find all the things you're doing? Because I know you have more than your books. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my books, uh, you can find my books anywhere that books are sold. On my website, timdesmond.net, you can find a, uh, an online uh, video training in self-compassion. Um, you can, it's uh, self-paced. It, there's 12 weeks of content, but you can actually do it, you know, take as, as long or short as you want. And there's a free trial. So if you go to timdesmond.net and look for the, um, the online video training, 
people can can find that. I have some advanced trainings for therapists in the Boston area coming up. So if, again, if you go to timdesmond.net, you can see uh, we'll be in Cambridge, Newton, and Salem, Massachusetts, um, September, I believe it's 18th, 19th, and 20th. And then uh, and we still have openings, and you can sign up online. And yeah, that's... that's uh, and, and you know, and any other, I'll be in the Denver area in, I think, November. And you can, again, find that on my website, timdesmond.net. Right. And you also have a community that you co-founded, right? Yeah. So uh, this week, we're actually having a, um, our all-ages kind of family retreat at Morning Sun Mindfulness Center. So the website there is morningsuncommunity.org. And... Um, it's a retreat center and co-housing community in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And so if you're interested in, uh, in practicing or attending our retreats or just want to learn more about our community, you can find it at morningsuncommunity.org. It's uh, a really wonderful place in southwestern New Hampshire, uh, near Keene, New Hampshire, uh, right outside of Antioch University. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to both websites in the show notes in case anybody who's listening didn't get a chance to jot them down. And I just want to thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. I just loved this conversation and I'm really grateful for the work you're doing. Well, thanks. It was great to, great to talk with you. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, Supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, therapy chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.